Ja, det kan så. Feels like I'm brand new at it again. We're back. Oh my god. Welcome to season two of the New School OBGYN podcast. Oh my gosh, time just keeps on flying and we're getting older and wiser. It is. Sorry for the abrupt break at the end of season one, but we're back and ready for season two. And I have back with me. Your favorite. Dr. Olga Valieva. My favorite. Hello and welcome to the New School OBGYN podcast, a podcast in women's health, but for everyone. Our goal is to promote good and reliable knowledge because the source of information matters. My name is Eric Schmidt. I'm a board-certified OBGYN and also a board-certified OBGYN. Again, Dr. Olga Valieva is with me today. Hello. A little recap because we have some fun news news to share what happened over the fall because um, I think the last episode we actually recorded was probably in August or no. September. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yep. Um, and like so a couple of things professionally, mm-hmm. Dr. Valieva got a additional certification and practice designation. As did you, don't forget about yourself. I'm just hyping you up oh, as the host. You. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, in minimally invasive gynecologic surgery. And so, mm-hmm. uh, we took a test, we passed it, of course. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we now have a practice designation for, we call it MIGS. Uh, so you might hear that word occasionally, but uh, it's a further specialty within, uh, or at least a focus within uh, gynecology. Mm-hmm. Um, and also we both became robotic surgeons of excellence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Master surgeons, one oh would my, say. No, you have to pay extra for that. We have to pay extra we for that? We did not pay the extra We money. did not. No. But they said we are one. Uh, so that's what matters. Um, <laughs> we went to a conference um, in Nashville. In Nashville. Yeah. Uh, Nashville, first time for me and probably for you too, right? I went there a few years ago, pre-COVID for another conference. Yeah. Yeah. AGL, again, another, um, um, it's our kind of main national minimally invasive uh, surgical conference mm-hmm. in um, Nashville. So that was fun. Learn some stuff. Mm-hmm. We'll bring that new stuff to you yeah. here eventually. Um, me personally, I took a big uh, focus into my health and fitness, um, ran a little marathon. In my honor. In your honor, it was on your birthday. Um, <laughs> he did not. So, he didn't even. Yeah, work, um, got sure. COVID two weeks before it. Ran a marathon, um, and so <laughs> <laughs> that uh, actually turned out just fine. Yeah, still to um, get it. Still to get it. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Um, yeah, that's, that's a pretty good recap. You got those yeah. uh, those uh, genes from the old country. <laughs> uh, nothing, nothing gets us. Yeah, and, and we're still full-time OBGYN, so, you know, yep. practice is busy, uh, full-time, so mm-hmm. um, between all that stuff, uh, we apologize for the little delay, yeah. but we are back. I would like to also say that I think part of it was November, December get really busy for us as far holidays, as yeah. holidays, too, and just surgeries, people, you know. Yeah, 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 right? yeah, yeah. really. Okay. So, yeah. Again, what we're going over today is, well, hysterectomy. Mm-hmm. And I originally was going to put this all into one podcast, but I thought maybe it should be broken up because oh. it is such a big topic. Okay. Because um, we have a lot to unpack and we're going to do multiple episodes. So I think three, unless okay. we um, really want to do more, which eventually we will. <laughs> There's so much to talk because, about. Because, you know, one of the biggest things I think is um, the misconceptions. Mm-hmm. Um, the questions we hear every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to help unpack that today. Yeah, a lot of misinformation um, out there. A lot. And I was just talking to you about this, but um, I tried to 
to be a little Dr. Google myself, mm-hmm. do my own research mm-hmm. online as if I were a patient. And there is a lot of questionable material yes, out there. Yes, there is. And, yeah. and just a lack of good quality things, which I feel like people would want to click on. Mm-hmm. And I was even going to like um, what you think would be reputable sites. Like it was like, I'm not going to name names, but big mm-hmm. hospitals that, mm-hmm. across the country, mm-hmm. which you would know the name if I said it. Mm-hmm. And there, some information was just not up to date or yeah. just not perfect. And so mm-hmm. um, we're going to go over that. Yeah. Um, well, and then, you know, the second episode I was thinking might be more of like the surgical talk. You know, okay. maybe we, I was yep. thinking actually do some surgical video. Oh. What do you think about that? Yeah. Yeah. Obviously mine, not yours. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this, I think third episode would be more of like a post-op recovery, long-term, sure, yeah. what to yeah, expect. Yeah. Um, I like that. So, Olga, do you want to kind of go over what would be um, hysterectomy? What yeah. would it, you know, kind of some... Little facts about it. Go ahead. You, you want to draw for me? Oh, I can. I did not. Uh, I'll draw that while. Gene. I'll draw while. Yeah. Well, not. I'm not going to draw yet. Oh. Oh, if you haven't noticed, we have multiple camera views now. Yeah, We've Eric, really updated Eric updated really this got podcast busy over the winter. Spend some money. Yeah. I, I didn't. Yeah. Um. So hysterectomy is probably. I want to say the second most common, second most commonly performed procedure, at least in the U.S. Um, second to hysterectomy. I mean, sorry, cesarean sections. Mm-hmm. What are we yeah. talking about? Yeah, <laughs> gynecology. <laughs> I'm awake, guys. Yes. It's Happy New Year. Um, so, about sixty to seventy thousand cases are done annually in the United States alone, and this just in the U.S. I'm sure there's more worldwide. Six hundred. Six hundred thousand. What did I say? Sixty. Oh my gosh. It's okay. I can't even read. It's okay. That. We're warming up. Season okay. two. Here we go. So most common reasons for a hysterectomy, um, for benign reasons, it would be heavy bleeding, abnormal bleeding, um, fibroids, even if there's not bleeding present, pelvic pain, endometriosis, uh, pelvic organ prolapse, um, uterine prolapse specifically, and then for malignancies, it's usually cancer or precancerous. Um, we're, we typically, as benign gynecologists, we focus on more of the bleeding fibroid pain aspect, and if it's a, either a more difficult case or a cancerous case, and those get referred to our more experienced um, surgeons like the Joanne oncologists. Mm-hmm. Um, but we will focus on, you know, the fibroids, the bleeding, and the pain aspect of this. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I thought we'd briefly touch on just a little background of the the risks and, um, you know, because that's one of the big questions we initially mm-hmm. have. Um, and then we'll go over a lot of the big misconceptions and his, uh, about hysterectomy mm-hmm. and then maybe give our little tidbit about what you should be asking your doctor when yeah. you're coming in for your consult. And so, um, yeah, I mean, as with every surgery, um, learning my new system I here, I forgot as, as with every this. surgery, um, <laughs> you know, there's, there's certain surgical risks. And mm-hmm. so, uh, the risks associated with hysterectomy would be, um, bleeding, infection, damage surrounding mm-hmm. tissue, um, that's the main three we would say there. Um, the surrounding areas could be like the bladder, the bowels, the ureters, which are the tubes that go down to the kidney. Mm-hmm. All those risks are extremely rare though, um, especially with minimally invasive options. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and, and we'll go over some of the, the potential long-term risks too, because mm-hmm. that's an important conversation to have um, uh, as that, you know, it, is something that should be looked at. Um, we'll talk about, you know, the ovaries and whether or not someone would have their ovaries removed. Um, and, uh, let's start with kind of some terminology. Yeah. Um, this is definitely because, big one. Yeah. uh, the, the biggest, I think, question that we would often mm-hmm. get is, you know, what is the correct term for right. total partial mm-hmm. super cervical yeah. 
And I think that the misnomers or how people think of them are not necessarily just because of misinformation, but how hysterectomies were done historically. Mm -hmm. Um, So whenever, you know, and again, based on what's out there on Dr. Google, sorry, we're not trying to bash Google here. Um, We love Google. (laughs) It is fine. I can't live without Google. Um, Hysterectomies are broken into total hysterectomy or partial hysterectomy. So for us GYNs and based on current nomenclature, a total hysterectomy involves, and Eric doodles much better than me, involves removal of the cervix and the uterus so that um, the uterus is broken into two parts, the uterine corpus, which is the, the ball part, and then the cervix, which is, um, are you doodling there? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, the go ahead. Going, so, yeah. Um, yeah, the, the, the big, yeah, go ahead. The with the, the, <laughs> I, I like to draw the babies in here. This is where a baby would live. I'm going to do it this way because it's Perfect. more anatomically correct. And it's smiling. because If you're just listening, baby. you can see all this stuff on YouTube. Uh, the video will be up hopefully soon after the audio podcast. There you go. All right. So essentially this is, it's an arbitrary line, but this is a delineation of the parts of the cervix. So this would, or uterus, this would be the cervix or the lower portion of the uterus. And this would be the corpus or the fundal part of the uterus. Um, so for us, when we talk about a hysterectomy, we're talking about removal of both the uterus, uterine corpus, and the cervix. And this is a total hysterectomy. Uh, partial hysterectomy to us, or we call it a supracervical, would be removing the uterus just above the cervix. Um, I feel like this is not, and I know this is not a very commonly done procedure, mostly because typically Super cervical hysterectomies would be done for maybe prolapse cases, um, just because it helps use with use of mesh and suspend the cervix and the vaginal canal. Some uh, patients do have a strong desire to retain their cervix. However, the downside of keeping your cervix is A, you're still at risk for cervix cancer, and B, sometimes uterine lining or endometrial tissue gets um, a lot of, a little bit of it is within the cervix, and women or patients will still have cyclical monthly bleeding, not as heavy, but it is something that could be an annoyance for some patients. So I would say majority over 99% of the hysterectomies I do involve removal of the cervix as well as the rest of the uterus. Yeah. And just to recap on that. Mm -hmm. So the, you know, people come in, they ask, you know, I want um, a partial hysterectomy. Mm -hmm. I often hear that a lot. And Mm -hmm. I think maybe it wasn't a great job by our profession Mm -hmm. maybe years ago, but um, people think of a total hysterectomy as also removing the Correct. ovaries and and putting you mm-hmm. into menopause, Correct. and so uh, it's just uh, that would, that's just incorrect in the current mm-hmm. um, terminology. And total hysterectomy means hysterectomy is just uterus, and mm-hmm. so total hysterectomy removal of the uterus, like Olga drew out. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually often avoid using the words total and partial just mm-hmm. because of the the confusion. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you just say hysterectomy and hysterectomy and, and super cervical. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing that we also are doing more recently is we're also removing both of the fallopian tubes. If um, the patients are still having their fallopian tubes, if they haven't been previously removed by a sterilization procedure. Um, the reason why is we have found that removal of the fallopian tubes can decrease your risk of ovarian cancer, especially if you're a carrier for high risk ovarian cancer genetics. Um, we typically do not remove the ovaries unless there is some genetic or medical reason to do that. Um, For example? For example, if women have endometriosis and want the definitive treatment for that, again, that's a special discussion. If they're over a certain age, um, the recommendation is over 65, but you know that can differ based on patient demographics and preferences, or if there's some level of a neoplasm present. Um, yeah. 
Um, Perfect. Um, and so another big question, mm-hmm. and a lot of these kind of go into the, the super cervical versus total hysterectomy or just hysterectomy. Um, but some people might um, um, have questions like, mm-hmm. okay, now that you remove my uterus, mm-hmm. is is my are my um, am I going to have prolapse, or, sure. or is the top of the vagina or the sides of the vagina going to mm-hmm. start to fall out? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was the initial thought: is if you keep your cervix, that that might actually help, um, you know, prevent that. But you know, what I like to do is explain to patients that um, the uterus doesn't really hold up the vagina, and mm-hmm. I think that's a misconception. I, mm-hmm. it's, some could argue that it more or less pushes down on it. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially if it's heavy, fibroids, et cetera. Right. Mm-hmm. And so there's also ligaments that are attached um, here. And when we do the hysterectomy, we, we we save those ligaments and that's part of the the top of the vagina mm-hmm. then. Um, and so, uh, no, and the vagina is also held up by all of these attachments mm-hmm. along there, the muscles, the ligaments uh, that go alongside the vagina, um, pelvic floor. So, mm-hmm. um that plays more of a role in uh, the prolapse mm-hmm. than the, the cervix yeah. per se. And so that's a big one. Yeah. And this, I think this is a good uh, education point for patients too, just because pel- pelvic organ prolapse or uterine or cervical, vaginal, whatever prolapse, it's not so much a matter of what you've had done surgically. It's more of age, genetics, pregnancies, mm-hmm. not necessarily vaginal deliveries. Of course, that increases your risk, but just over time with aging and laxity, our tissues change, right? right. I mean, I always make the joke that when you're 90, everything's going to hang on the ground, right? So <laughs> whether or not you have a hysterectomy, all patients are at risk for prolapse. The right. hysterectomy is not necessarily going to speed it up. If anything, we suspend things a little bit more tightly, depending on the case, to the ligaments and hold them up. So um, a hysterectomy itself will not increase your chance of a prolapse. Perfect. But you're for nine pound babies will. <laughs> that is. And then, you know, getting to menopause too, sure. another big risk factor. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, other one, you know, will sexual pleasure change? Um, and the way I, I explain it is that uh, it really shouldn't. It should, um, yeah. A lot of the areas for sensation are more towards the outside mm-hmm. in that first third of the vagina, the clitoral region. Um, so uh, really it shouldn't. Yeah. Um, the cervix doesn't have a lot of innervation to it, if if any. And so- um, Any positive innervation, let's just clarify that. Okay. If anything, it just hurts all the time. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I also will tell my patients that I feel like, especially if they're having hysterectomy for pelvic pain or dysmenorrhea or fibroid and pressure, if anything, this will improve their sexual satisfaction because we're eliminating a source of pain, right? So it, it doesn't impact it negatively. If anything, it will impact it for the better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and not having to deal with all those times, you know, because yeah. one of the main yep. reasons is bleeding. And mm-hmm. so, if you're, you know, if you're bleeding two weeks out of the month, you know, right, that makes it hard. Puts a damper on the sex life for sure. Um, another common one is, is this going to change my hormones? Am I going to go into menopause? So, um, as we talked about, we're not often removing ovaries. The ovaries are the source of the hormones. The uterus itself has really no hormonal function or influence whatsoever. So while we can't say 100% nothing will ever change, there is potentially some maybe changes hormonally. So we know that women who have a hysterectomy tend to go through menopause a few months earlier than their non-hysterectomy counterparts. A few months to a few years, yeah. Few, six to 12 months, right? Yeah. Depending oh, on how many, yeah. If, yeah. Depending on the study you read. So we don't 
100% know why, but the current theory is that there's a connection from the uterus to the ovary where it's called the utero-ovarian vessels and pedicle, where the uterus does supply a little bit of blood flow to the ovary. The ovary itself gets different blood connection, most of it coming from a completely different source. And we feel... I think that if we cut this connection, it may decrease the blood flow to the ovary and potentially limiting the lifespan of the mm-hmm. ovary. Um, you know, not a proven no. theory, but it kind of makes sense. Yeah, and so the yeah the blood flies blood mm-hmm. flow is used to kind of being two sides, and mm-hmm. then to do the hysterectomy, we have do have to go across one of them, right. and so uh, yeah. So they notice it with lab values and looking at other things, but mm-hmm. you know, like actual clinical you know, significance is the patient experiencing Mm -hmm. or is that causing a detrimental effect? Um, It's a big topic of discussion Mm -hmm. right now. Um, And so we don't take a hysterectomy lightly, but um, when it is needed, it often has the benefits will more than certainly outweigh the risks in that sense. And this is definitely a discussion. Um, And I don't know, Eric, if you found this with your patients, but um, oftentimes patients are on some sort of hormonal therapy like birth control pills that are, you know, especially if they're in their 40s and already have perimenopausal symptoms that the birth control is helping control their symptoms. Then they completely come off of it because they don't need it. And now they're experiencing more of those menopausal vasomotor symptoms. And um, there may be a theory that this hysterectomy put me into menopause, right? So it's not so much the hysterectomy itself is that there's other changes that are happening within our bodies or their bodies. And it's not specifically hysterectomy related, but those are changes that women will go through regardless of hysterectomy or not. Certainly. Um, so, and then, you know, the, I do get this question occasionally mm-hmm. too. They're like, okay, you remove the uterus and now you just have the top of the vagina here. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens to all that space? You know, you know, how is that going to impact? I, I saw some videos saying, well, you know, now that that space is not there, it causes bladder problems. But I think a, a way to um, more or less um, explain it is that nothing really happens. Mm-hmm. Um, the uterus, you know, even if it's a big uterus, I mean, we take uteruses out that are, you know, two or three times, four times as big as the one we just drew for you. Mm-hmm. And so um, the, the bowels occupy that space um, <laughs> and the bladder has a little more space to, yeah. um, to you know, uh, to be free. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that's a question we get often and, and, and really it's not, the, the mm-hmm. bowels just fill the that region. Just fill yeah. In, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say, since the uterus is really not that big, it, it's really not that much space that we're trying to occupy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think some talk uh, take-home points for this discussion on hysterectomy is, um, one, if it's indicated, if um, it's causing problems and um, symptoms and it's detrimental to someone's life, then um, I think someone, when they're coming to the office, um, there are some people that are like, you know, really, really nervous about mm-hmm. the idea of losing an organ, mm-hmm. uh, and that's rightfully so. Um but when we look at all these risks and we weigh that with the potential benefits, it's, mm-hmm. it's a discussion. And so, um, you know, there's kind of sometimes two types of people that come to the office and talk to us. And it's people that are, you know, really want to avoid hysterectomy at all costs. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's others that, you know, are like, you know, I'm having bleeding. I just want a hysterectomy. Yeah. Um, and so we kind of have to balance that. And that's mm-hmm. the art of it. Um, so... For example, we do, you know, if someone comes in, their mom had a hysterectomy, their aunt had a hysterectomy, and they just want a hysterectomy, mm-hmm. but they have a normal uterus. A uh, little bit of a spoiler show, but next we'll be talking about endometrial ablation. <laughs> <laughs> 
transition. <laughs> Look at that. Um, Good job. And so, you know, these are options which can allow you to hopefully retain your uterus, uh-huh. um, help with the main symptom, potentially hopefully cure you, um, and be less invasive. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. It, yeah. And I think, in, sorry to interrupt, I think an important aspect of this too is considering quality of life, right? I mean, if you're spending, even if you don't want a hysterectomy, if you're in pain one week out of every month, right? And the recovery is a few weeks, putting together the short period of recovery compared to 20 more years of misery. Um, it's it, Yeah, it's, it's medical, medically necessary, but it's also quality of life at the end of the day. So um, I think that's maybe something patients don't often consider is like the long-term picture. Sometimes people yeah. deal with it too long and mm-hmm. like, I'll just put up with it for yeah. five years longer. And it's like, whoa, come, come on. <laughs> Um, I mean, come it, see it, us. It's like Trust a, us. Fly by, right? Yeah. yeah, it's already been a year. <laughs> um, and we'll get a lot into mm-hmm. the different routes of hysterectomy in, in the next uh, talk mm-hmm. here. Um, but we're going to go over the the different routes of the hysterectomy. Um, you know, laparoscopic, vaginal, abdominal. Um, but take home point is always minimally invasive. Always, always. Few exceptions. Mm. Cancer, can. and which extremely rare. Um, or, um, if you can't put there are, <laughs> right. And so there are certain cases, but you know, if, if someone's offering you potentially a non-minimally invasive option, which would be like an abdominal hysterectomy or basically a C-section cut or bigger, um, might be worth it to get a second opinion, Absolutely. um, to see if it can be done by someone else minimally invasive. Cause, mm-hmm. um, it, there's just some variance in, in treatment of hysterectomies and surgery. Yep. So, um, yeah. Okay. I think I'm remembering how to do this kind of. The podcasting? Yeah. <laughs> I'm ruining this all. <laughs> no, you're doing great. Um, so yeah, that's the end of our podcast. Thank you everybody for listening. Um, and thank you for tuning in on YouTube. If you watch there, hopefully you can see some of our uh, very special drawings, which we just did. We're going to, we're going to, um, we're going to improve on that. Um, I, I, I'm not, I'm don't lie. If you have any questions, <laughs> let us know in the YouTube comments and we'll try to get those answered. But as always, uh, the content of the podcast is, and, and video are for educational purposes only. None of the content is meant for personal medical advice. Please contact your medical provider if you're in need for personal medical advice. Welcome back, Olga. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry.